Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Nonprofit Fundraiser Podcast. We interview the top nonprofit fundraisers and marketers in order to provide you with practical insights for increasing generosity. You can learn more by going to virtuouscrm.com. And now, let's turn it over to our host. Hey, everybody. Today, we have Josh Tiarina uh, on the podcast. I'm super excited to have Josh on. Josh has been working in the nonprofit space for about 13 years. Uh, He was formerly CIO at Alliance Defending Freedom, um, really honed his digital and fundraising chops in a sense, uh, founded a cool little nonprofit called the Halcyon Movement, and launched a digital agency called H&H Digital. Uh, Both organizations are focused on digital marketing and behavior change. Uh, through digital activism, especially with younger generations. Um, so I, I've seen some of the stuff that Josh has done, and really it is just fantastic on the very leading edge of kind of digital change, digital activism. So Josh, welcome to the show. Appreciate it. Thank you. Sure thing. So um, uh, you're in a very cutting edge space, so it's always uh, entertaining to hear a little bit about Uh, how people got started. So how did you get started? Uh, What made you jump into the world of digital activism? Well, um, actually, my start was, uh, I I wasn't really all that necessarily like tech savvy. So I started out by writing. And um, that was really a strong passion of mine. And um, that naturally uh, 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 moved over to content marketing, right? Because where do you write? You write on the internet. So there was this necessity to sort of learn some things. And then um, I eventually developed this really strong interest in technology, uh, specifically like uh, just mobile phones, apps, uh, that kind of thing, and how it was really interacting with people's lives. You know, how Facebook, uh, from a psychological perspective, is affecting society. So almost from a philosophical uh, perspective, I got into technology. And um, that naturally led into this idea of like changing people's minds or converting people. And that was just a smooth, natural uh, transition into um, content or digital marketing, which is, you know, all about conversion. So whether it's converting for a sale of vote, um, or even, you know, as we'll get into maybe a little bit is even a soul, even a person's behavior, um, just the ability to convert and to connect with millions and millions of people, um, is, uh, on on the internet is, is a really powerful tool. So that was kind of, kind of my start into it. And, and, you know, I just read, this is just an interesting little like side note. Uh, I just read literally about a week ago, uh, Freud's son, who actually sort of created the idea of kind of the godfather of ad ads and, and advertising and, and uh, PR, uh, the whole origin of it was actual behavior change. Like it was pro- like he literally created propaganda. So that, that kind of is the genesis <laughs> of, um, you know, marketing, which eventually obviously transitioned into digital marketing, which is uh, obviously the, the, the bigger sort of uh, beast nowadays. It's the uh, it's, it's a way to sort of meet an audience of millions in seconds. So, um, so I, I just thought that was really cool because that's sort of how I see it, is the ability to actually uh, change people's behavior um, and being able to do it at scale is really cool. So that, that was kind of my transition into it. That's amazing. I, I'm sure most folks listening say, yes, how can I change the hearts and minds of millions of people uh, <laughs> using digital? Uh, but I know also if it's... Um, if folks listening or anything like the nonprofits that I've been a part of, um, it's hard to know actually like, so what to do. Um, I'd love to hear a couple yeah. of stories, uh, 
from you about kind of how you've seen this play out at, both at Halcyon and your digital agency. But let's start with Halcyon. Like, give me give me some meat on that statement, you know, changing hearts and minds at scale. Like, how's that worked out? Do you have a couple of stories that help flesh it out? Yeah, yeah. So I'll give one. Um, it's a little bit involved, so I'll kind of walk through it. But I think each little section, each little decision that we made is kind of important because, uh, like I said, it can be applied whether you're trying to fundraise or whether you're trying to actually change people's hearts and minds. Um, it, it, it's sort of like, for me, at least my perspective, it all sort of comes from the same place. So um, as, as you mentioned, at the beginning of 2017, I launched uh, a nonprofit uh, called the Halcyon Movement. And um, we focus on, we're a Christian nonprofit that focuses on promoting faith in the family. And so we use digital marketing to convert souls and to sort of build a moral worldview. That's, that's our mission. And um, in, 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 in doing that, we need to change culture. And so because we're digital, and so originally when I started talking about this idea of, of changing culture, it was really amorphous and everyone was sort of like, that's, that's you know, a cliche. You can't really change culture. It just sort of happens. And the reality is, is that we actually have a ton more control than we, uh, than we think. And so uh, because we work in a digital space, everything we do has data. So when we say changing culture, we actually mean it um, and we can prove it. And I'll, I'll give you an example of that um, right now. So the, uh, the, originally Halcyon was meant to uh, help uh, Christian nonprofits catch up in the digital space. So it's, I mean, I, I don't think it's a controversial statement to say that Christian nonprofits generally lag in regards to technology. Um, and so we, specifically technology and communication. Yep. And, um, and so what we wanted to do was sort of catch them up. And uh, what happened was, is that we got so into the cutting edge tools of whether it's geomarketing or um, artificial intelligence or machine learning, that we started to get really excited in running campaigns of our own. And it just sort of evolved into this digital activism organization. Uh, and it evolved really quickly because we really loved what we did. So, um, and, and I'll give you what a, an example of what I mean by digital activism. So we were dealing with an organization, uh, a, a massive organization. If I said the name, everyone would know about it. We, we were dealing with a massive organization. And um, they had a 60% favorability rating, um, according to, I believe it was Pew uh, Research, that you know, three out of five people had a favorable view of this organization's brand. And we thought, you know, they're, they're sort of, they're anti what we believe is a good worldview. And so we thought, well, we need to actually change people's minds. Like we need to get them to recognize the truth about this organization. So we sort of had this question of how can we get their supporters to accept the truth of, of who they are and what they do? And um, initially we knew, you know, this is kind of commonplace in the conservative Christian market is the idea of like fact sheets or getting the facts out. If people only got the facts, they would understand our position. And the reality is, and I'll kind of prove it a little bit later, the reality is, is that that, that actually doesn't work at all. Um, and so it doesn't, it doesn't move the needle. And so what we did was we wanted to kind of look for some creative inspiration. We found it in two places. Um, and this is gonna be kind of key to the sort of the takeaway is looking for creative uh, solutions to the problem. So the first is that um, we looked at a neuromarketing study from the 2000s. It was Dr. Um, I want to say Reed Montague was the name. And uh, he ran this study. And what he did was he hooked people up to an MRI scanner. And he started to ask them questions about uh, or kind of engage them with the Pepsi taste test challenge. And he found out two things that we thought were really important. The first is when people did a blind taste test, they overwhelmingly preferred Pepsi. But when they, um, when they were introduced to the Coke brand, when the sample was introduced to the Coke brand, 
people overwhelmingly preferred Coke. And so we found, we, we sort of deduced from that, that the, the, the affinity for the Coke brand had overwhelmed their sense of reason, right? So, uh, so we knew that, there were, that we had to get past the brand in order to um, convert a supporter. The second thing came from a TED Talk, actually, uh, Simon Sinek. I'm sure you've heard of Simon Sinek. And I don't know that I'm saying his last name right, but that's what it looks like. Yep. So um, Simon Sinek uh, did this talk on the Golden Circle, and which is, it's about how engaging brands actually influence people. And he talks about the what, the how, the why. Uh, it's really interesting from that perspective. But that wasn't the real value for us. The real value was that uh, people make decisions based on biology. And um, he talked about the limbic and neocortex uh, systems of the brain. And so he said, basically, look, uh, the uh, neocortex, neocortex can, uh, corresponds with the what. So, um, and this is getting nerdy. I appreciate that, but it's got a point. So yeah, it's, it's responsible for analytical thought. And <laughs> so it's responsible for analytical thought and language. The neocortex is responsible for analytics and data. And then the limbic system corresponds with the, the, the how and the why, and it's responsible for our feelings, uh, as well as behavior and decision-making, but it has no capacity for language. So here we have an, an entire movement, a uh, conservative Christian movement, that is trying to engage people on facts when facts don't actually change behavior. And so that, that to us was incredibly interesting. So we thought, how can we deliver facts? Right, because we knew that if people read the facts, they would actually change their mind, but in a way that wasn't like a fact sheet that that, that really engaged their limbic system, their emotion. And so we 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 came up with the quiz, right, which is not like this this uh, revolutionary idea, but it it did a couple of things for us. One, it allowed us us to market it as um, we used the marketing as a blindfold, so it didn't come off as like straight propaganda. And the second thing is is that the quiz allowed people to discover the answers for themselves. And it engaged their curiosity and their ego. So when they, we, we know that you know, when you take a quiz and you get an answer wrong, that you're gonna look for the answer. And so they were seeking out the information that we, we had, that we knew. And so, uh, so we, we run this quiz and we actually ran about four or five different instances of the quiz trying to optimize. And, um, and who we ran it to is, is really important because we wanted a squishy middle. You know, we didn't want the extremists on either side. The people that agreed with us, they already agreed with us. And the people that, that you know, were, were sort of the extremists on the other side, um, we didn't think we were ever going to really engage them in a strong way. So we wanted the squishy middle. So uh, we ran a survey and we got people to, to answer questions about the organization on a, on a six-point scale, about what the organization does, not the organization itself. And we took the fives and the sixes and they went into our regular file because those people agreed with us. So we were going to fundraise off of them. We, we discarded the ones, people that answered one that said, look, what they're doing is, is wonderful. And um, the, the two threes and fours were the people that we, we, something we wanted to engage with because something kept them from marking one, right? So there was like a chink in the armor. And so we took those answers, which ended up being about 1,200 individuals. And we uploaded their data into Facebook and created a lookalike audience, which created a, a 10 million person uh, targeted audience of the squishy middle on this issue. Because you can't just go to Facebook and find a group for everything, right? So you had to, we had to create our own audience. And when we ran the quiz in that audience, and the quiz we had optimized, we'd run four different versions and failed miserably on some and finally built what we thought was sort of the super quiz. And we, 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 when we sent it out to that audience and drove traffic to the quiz from that audience specifically, uh, we had a seven out of 10 people that supported the organization before taking the quiz 
told us afterwards that they no longer supported the organization. So a 70% conversion rate on what is one of the largest organizations in the world. Um, and so we were, we, were, we were super excited about that. And, and I think that the, the sort of the, the, the takeaways uh, would be that, um, one, uh, we can't simply deliver facts. In fact, we actually had sent an email out to, those, to that audience, that squishy middle audience, and we pulled out a portion of them and sent an email out that just delivered the facts. And the responses we got were just horrible. Like they told us they hated us, that we were bigots, whatever the case was, they, they really couldn't stand us. But when we sent them the quiz, we actually converted them. So, so the, 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 that same exact audience that hated us when they read the facts, which actually drove them further away from us, when we sent them the quiz, they actually converted at a rate of 70%. Um, and then the second thing is, is that like, uh, is, is I think in the sense of being creative and engaging the limbic system, it doesn't mean that we have to be sad or we have to be, um, you know, it's ex extremely hopeful or whatever the case may be. Like we used, we decided that the feelings we wanted to engage were curiosity and ego. So it doesn't, it doesn't have to be the same old sort of tired videos or tired, uh, engagement. Um, you can be creative about it. And I think that that's one of the things that led it to be. Uh, quite a bit more powerful. So that's that, that, that's a, a, an example, I think, that kind of demonstrates that one, you can convert hearts and minds, and then two, uh, you can actually deliver an ROI. I mean, we know that it costs $3.89 to convert someone that supports the organization that no longer support it. So uh, you can deliver like an actual real ROI on culture change. Wow. I, there's so much in there, so many things I have follow-up questions about, but I think <laughs> The, the, uh, it's just amazing to me that you guys are seeing um, a sort of 70% on a switch from one way of thinking to another on, on very polarizing topics and um, across people that have thought one way their whole life and now are thinking a different way. So it's, that's amazing. Um, uh, the results are, are crazy. It's amazing that social can do that. Uh, I love the idea of the sort of the Simon Sinek, like, you know, engaging the limbic brain uh, and getting people emotionally tied in. Um, you know, it's, it, I love that you threw that in at the end. My, my fear is always that, uh, nonprofits rely on the emotional heartstrings, especially around sadness. So the, you know, the, the example you always hear is the, the nonprofits that raise all their money up off of showing, you know, pictures of kids, starving with flies in their eyes or, or dogs dying, right? Just to, because they know that that, the emotional reaction will always trump everything else. And so they rely on that That's so right. yeah. heavily that they really never get back to real measurables, real impact, what they're doing in the world. So the fact that you guys have found a way to engage sort of the limbic brain, but still pull people down a, a rational path that, that leaves them in a place where you're, you know, you do get to the facts and, you do it in a way that's just is not heavy-handed um, is is pretty amazing. So super stoked about that. So tell me a little bit. I I love that example. You're doing some of this on the agency side of your business with H and H. So you're providing some of these same services and outcomes. Yeah. Other nonprofits. I'd I'd love for you to tell me a little bit. Like how are you seeing this play? Because that was a pretty specific example. But how are you seeing this play out at other nonprofits? So, so we, um, we actually got up and uh, we're fa fairly new, kind of a startup nonprofit. Uh, and, uh, you know, we launched January 1st, 2017. And so we spent um, a good six months sort of, we, we, we had this idea 
and like I even said at the beginning, that kind of evolved and, and we needed to create a model because we had to have a product, right? Because we have to fundraise as well. So we have to have a product that we have to deliver. And we really wanted it to have a true ROI. We think that that's a really important component of where nonprofits need to go. They have to be able to prove their results. And so um, what we, uh, so we went and we presented um, this and about five other little uh, case studies or, or proofs of our model at a, um, a conference. And so after the conference, we had about 20 organizations reach out to us that were there. And so we're there trying to, you know, of course, fundraise. And we have 20 organizations reach out and say, well, we want to partner with you. And because we, we need to be doing stuff like this in, in our space or in what we're doing, or even people that were kind of trying to do the same thing we were at least trying to get them some help, which uh, as a nonprofit, you know, we, we really believe in that. We really believe in that sort of alliance building uh, concept. The problem is, is that we're a smaller nonprofit. So the bandwidth was an issue. So immediately we said, look, we really want to help these organizations, but we're going to launch a for-profit digital agency um, that can sort of run on its own and handle its own bandwidth. And so that was the origin of H and H Digital, which is him and her digital and um, yeah, digital company. And so we uh, we wanted to help these nonprofits. We really didn't have the bandwidth to do it, and so we launched the for-profit company. Um, and the, the the biggest issue that we found uh, in working with nonprofits is they tend to be really modular. They're they're internal departments. Um, they see themselves as separate from the other departments. So you have like development over here, which is like the fundraising and, and marketing's in a different place. And then the web team's like scattered all over the place, right? And so, and we actually, the, one of the first learnings is um, working with an organization, a, a really large organization and um, coming in and they're, you know, they had, uh, I think like 30 disparate websites all over the internet. And um, they, uh, they, they had, um, uh, uh, their web team was scattered everywhere. Nobody was kind of working together. Uh, not intentionally. I think that just happens over the years. And so we decided and we created this, this sort of holistic system, which we call holistic digital marketing. That basically says, look, stop thinking about, um, you know, what I call ROI marketing or maybe direct response is a more likely term in the nonprofit space. Um, and content marketing and brand as these three separate issues. And, and, they're, and one's always trying to win, right? Like, so the people, the marketing team that handles the brand is always trying to say, well, look, the brand needs to control the fundraising. And the fundraising is saying, well, the, the money fuels the mission. And so there's all these little arguments that actually, it's only when you make a real targeted effort uh, where those three things become symbiotic, that's when you actually see big growth. And so um, that's what we try to work with. We built a, a digital team. Um, you know, brought in all the digital people from all over the organization, uh, built a completely new new website, and um, and also built a, a vision that that sort of coalesced all these different or, these different organizational departments, um, so that they were working together. Uh, and the end result there was uh, website traffic increased by forty nine hundred percent. Our Facebook likes went up by I think seven hundred and fifty thousand in about six months. Wow. And, um, and, and, fundra and fundraising went up as well. So a lot of people will tell you when you launch your website, your fundraising is going to dip. That's just a natural sort of thing that happens. But the reality is, is we thought, you know, no, it doesn't have to. And so uh, it bringing in all of the content from 30 different websites, uh, executing like a proper SEO strategy, and then using social to actually drive more traffic that was, than, than there was before, um, we actually increased donations. And, and, and because we were... I don't want to say slide, but because we, we were conscious about the idea of like, you know, putting donation buttons everywhere, we actually increased the amount of donation buttons on the website, like exponentially. I don't remember the exact percentage. It's been a little while, but uh, we increased the, the amount of donation button 
And yet it didn't feel that way. And I think that that goes to the idea of like design and how, and how you engage people. Um, and so you can, you can accomplish all those fundraising goals and still interconnect with programs and interconnect with, with marketing. And when you do that, I think that's when you really start to see growth. So that's, that's one example from, from the, the agency side of, of, of how you can sort of engage. And so, um, I think I think some sort of takeaways from that obviously is is uh, the holistic idea of strategy, um, setting the right objectives. Like you have a ton of people, you know, those thirty different websites all had a specific objective. How do you bring that all into one? It requires clarity and simplifying what your objectives are, um, and that was actually really helpful for the organization. Um, and third, um, I think that it, it, you know you have to have a focus on the future. You have to have a target of where you're going, and people don't think of digital that way. They're sort of like they have an idea that like social media is going to change or that like digital is important, but we don't really know what we're going to do. And so they don't actually have a vision for how digital communications is going to change the paradigm of and, and really alter how that organization operates. And if you, you know, if you don't understand the technology or the tools and learn them and, and learn how to execute them in a vision for the future, then you're going to be disrupted. And the truth is, is that most uh, nonprofit uh, Christian conservative nonprofits, they're either they're either going to be disrupted very soon, uh, either by opposition or by smaller organizations uh, like the Halcyon Movement, or um, they're going to, or they've already been disrupted and they just don't know it, and their donors don't know it yet, right? Because they usually keep a, a high age uh, donor that is funding them that isn't really watching social media. But the reality is in the next five or 10 years, um, it's, it's going to be cemented. So I think that that's something that should actually scare nonprofits. If you're not being disrupted, you will. Um, but you pro the reality is you probably already have been. You just don't know it yet. Uh, that's great. Uh, I love that. There's uh, a few amazing insights in there. One of the ones uh, that's we've seen over and over again is that nonprofits traditionally are very, very siloed. And so each department has their own goals. The goals all don't roll up together. And so there's, there's very little unity in some cases and the competing goals uh, actually kind of grind the gears of the nonprofit getting anything done. And I think digital has served to, kind of put a magnifying glass on this problem, exacerbate the problem, because now you have this digital strategy that by its nature is spread out across all the departments. And so it sort of amplifies a lot of the issues, but um, uh, for the more forward thinking nonprofits, they're actually using digital as the thing that forces change, that forces unity, that forces people to align goals. And so it's, it's great. Uh, people like your agency and others that are really thinking about digital as a way to bring departments together and get everybody going toward the same sort of objectives and key results. So that's, that's amazing. Um, yeah, and, I, and I think the real key, no, I appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I, I think the key is uh, that, that we're a lot. One is that um, recognizing that digital belongs everywhere, I think is, is really key. It's not like a small little office next to the marketing team that does social media. Um, it, it really belongs in, in, a, in a bigger picture of what the organization does. And the second thing is that um, you have to have a vision for the future because people like all those disparate teams, if you don't create a vision as a leadership team, um, the, the, those, the heads of those organizations are going to create their own, whether they do it intentionally or not, it doesn't matter. 
um, you have to create a clear vision for people to sort of go after. I think from an organizational standpoint, that, that's pretty key. And if you don't include digital in it, you know, uh, God help you, I guess, is what would be my response. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Um, so I, hearing all this, super, super interesting. So, I, you know, I'd love to hear, just backing up a little bit, um, like what what drives you to do this? Like why do you do what you do? Like kind of what's the backstory of how even you ended up thinking this way? Yeah, so I, I really interesting thing. So what we do at, at Halcyon specifically um, and, and even H and H, although as an agency, we get to sort of close our door and, and do whatever. And so long as the results are there, people are pretty happy. But for Halcyon, we have to actually get donors. Right. So yep. we and fundraise. So so trying to explain to people like geo uh, fencing and um, artificial intelligence or whatever uh, social media, you, you know, you go through this long spiel and the very end, they kind of look at you and they're like, well, so you post on Facebook. Yeah, that's you know, that's what we do. We post on Facebook, <laughs> I guess. But the. Um, but the reality is, is it's really, it's fairly complex. And so we spent a lot of time at the very beginning crafting our messaging in regards to, uh, and we'll get back, I guess, to Simon Sinek, uh, what we do and how we do it. And we tried to sort of bring that into layman's terms. And, and all the development people that we met with to kind of give us advice said, well, look, you need to clarify what you do and how you do it. And Simon Sinek was kind of saying, well, no, 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 no. People actually care about why you do what you do. That, that people buy why you do what you do, not how you do it or, or, what, or, or what it is that you do exactly. And so we were in this um, a board meeting and uh, just, a, I don't know, maybe a few months ago. And um, one of the board members, we're sitting there talking and he said, well, why do you, why do, you do what you do? Like what, what drives you? What is it, you know, almost your exact same question, which I think is a much more important question. But I had never been asked that. And so I started and say, look, uh, you remember at the very beginning, I said I was a writer. And I said, well, I was writing an article on a migrant worker named Alonzo. And um, I, I had him on the phone. And this, and, and this migrant, Alonzo, had, had, uh, he kind of just, uh, when he was younger in the second grade, he followed the crop circles around the United States. And, um, and he, would, he would just harvest the crops. And that was, that was sort of his job. He just followed his family around. So he'd go to a bunch of different schools. So he, English was, uh, he didn't speak English at all. And so, and he never really had the opportunity to sit down and actually learn English. And so he, um, and this gets a little bit heavy, so I'll just uh, pre-warn you, but he uh, uh, was at a school and um, whenever they would call on him and he wouldn't speak English, uh, they would hit his hand with a ruler. They, they'd give him some sort of punishment. He said that like, one of the hardest things is as a second grader who doesn't understand the language at all, um, that he didn't understand what he was being punished for. Like he couldn't solve the problem and so he really talked in terms of like this idea of like human rejection. So it was really incredibly powerful and emotional, right? And so um, he, uh, uh, but, but, but he got to leave that school, follow the crop circles. But in the third grade, his dad got a job uh, on a farm near that school. And so permanently he was going to be going to the school that he was incredibly afraid of. And so he starts the third grade at this school. And sure enough, like the punishment kicks in and everything. And they got tired of hitting his hand with the ruler. So they started to have him take these, uh, this tin trash can and walk around the playground um, at during recess and pick up trash. And that was like his job every day. And that's what he'd do during recess. And that was his punishment for not speaking English. And uh, one day, a little girl walks up to him. Her name is Victoria. And she picks up some trash and puts it in there and starts to help him, starts walking around with him. And sure enough, she goes back and she uh, gets in trouble right along with him. 
The next day, uh, he's out at, at recess and he's picking up trash. And Victoria comes up and she starts picking up trash again. And um, and I asked Victoria, actually uh, uh, called her as well, and I said, what what is it that like what made you go out that second day? Like you knew you were going to get in trouble. And she said, well, because it was the right thing to do. And that was sort of like a key component, like a, a, a turning point moment that this was, this was an action that she knew was just morally right. She had to take a stand. And the curious thing that happened was that uh, after a few days of this, of the punishment, a third kid started helping them out and then a fourth kid. And eventually they have nearly the whole entire class helping them pick up trash on recess. And, and they couldn't punish all of them. And eventually they just kind of squashed the punishment idea. And actually, it was Victoria that taught Alonzo English, and he went on to be really successful. And um, and so the uh, uh, and, and when he turned uh, when they turned eighteen, they got married, um, and he went off to Vietnam to serve his country. And uh, he came back. They started a family, and uh, two brothers of that family uh, took that idea. Took the idea of that if you can inspire uh, a, a person, if you can create that chain reaction, you can actually change things. And then those two brothers uh, started the Halcyon movement. And that's my brother and um, uh, myself. And so we launched the Halcyon movement. And we looked at the playground not as this, as, as sort of a metaphor uh, or as a place that, and, and compared it to, well, look, we have this, this other area here called the internet. And it's not just a playground of one classroom. It's literally millions of people that are interconnected that have those same complexities of every single person, the same uh, uh, justice problems as that playground. And so if we can apply this idea um, at, a, at scale, then we can actually create change that's not just in a classroom, as notable as that is, but actually changing the world. And by using digital marketing and conversion tactics and political conversion tactics, these tactics have existed for years, right? To get people to vote, to get people to give a dollar, uh, to buy a product. If we can use those to actually change behavior, then we might be onto something. And that, that is ultimately uh, the end result of, you know, why we do what we do and the decision maker and what we do and how we do it is really based around that concept of um, actually just as, as simple and cliched as making a difference. But, it, it, but for us, it hit a real personal note. Man, that's amazing. That's, uh, that's the first time I've ever heard that story. And that's uh, one of the best sort of stories about why you do what you do and the best kind of illustrations of, the potential of, of digital change that I've heard. So I'm glad you told that. Um, okay. Well, uh, we're, uh, we're right on the edge of our time here. Why don't we close out just with a couple of, uh, quick questions, just, uh, kind of a lightning round and then, uh, sure. and then we'll, we'll say goodbye. So, um, uh, start with a really easy one. What's the favorite book you've read recently? The biggest uh, book that's influenced you the most in the last couple of years? Um, I would say um, Ed Catmull's um, uh, Creativity Inc. is probably the, and this is the guy that's the CEO of Pixar. He's yep. probably uh, had the most influence on me. Just, just how much they care about each detail and how much they care about, even though they're using really cool technology, um, that it really is about the story. And I think that that's, that should influence anybody that's in digital marketing. Yeah, oh, that's great. Um, so I know you're, uh, you're a dad and you're running two different organizations right now. So I don't have, know you don't have much time for this, but you got any sort of favorite movies and, and TV shows that have you stoked right now? Um, uh, I, I'm, I, so like you go through these periods of time when you, you watch something and, uh, 
you're really excited about it. And then, um, and then you go through periods where there's, there's nothing really on. I, right now I'm watching, uh, this might be controversial with some, but the deuce on HBO. Um, <laughs> and that's the same guy that create, created the wire, which is, uh, which was a phenomenal show. Um, I, game of Thrones fan, obviously. So almost anything HBO puts out is great. Really into like some Netflix originals. Um, and, uh, as far as movies, uh, I, I wish they, I saw Dunkirk and that was amazing. But ultimately, I wish they would they would get a little bit better. I think that that from a cinematic uh, standpoint, I'm not I'm not so much a fan of what's coming out right now. But yeah, uh, but yeah, Dun- Dunkirk's amazing, that's and great. I'm sure I'll be seeing Ninjago because I have kids. So that's <laughs> that's on my. That's great. Uh, it, yeah, I'm just gonna say this out loud because I'm sure everybody who's listening to this is thinking it. So uh, you're helping conservative Christian nonprofits. You're the son of a Mexican migrant worker, and you really dig the deuce in the wire on HBO. I bet everybody that's listening to this is thinking, oh, my gosh, where did this guy come from? <laughs> he, is, he is all over the map, which is, which is actually pretty fantastic. I love that actual real people aren't as um, polarizing and, and easy to put in buckets as you might think. So it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, <clears throat> I was actually telling this story um, a little bit ago, and I'll, I'll give the cliff notes here because I know we're at the end. But I, um, I, I was actually fairly liberal in high school, and I just remember kind of sitting around, and if I offend liberal listeners, I apologize, but this is my personal story. And I was sitting around, and um, I kind of was looking at where, where does this, what is the outcome here? And everyone was like, in high school, everyone's like, like pro-anarchy, right? Like they want resistance, and it's all that. And, and I sort of said, like, well, well, if you follow, like, the liberal ideology to the end, you get to state government. So I'm not quite sure, like, where that breakdown is. But logically, I can't follow this through because uh, you get this sort of – and what I found was is that, is that if you really, you know, enjoy these ideas about, like, innovation and uh, freedom and the ability to be an individual and everything, those are really actually conservative ideas. And so my transition is, but I hold all those sort of like lifestyle maybe of, 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 of being fairly liberal, but like ultimately I, I think that what liberals are actually trying to get to is conservatism. So uh, that, that's kind of the, why I'm such a, a weird uh, mix of, uh, of things, I suppose. Yeah, there's so many things in what you just said that are probably about four podcasts worth of material. <laughs> that's that's great. Um, well, uh, <laughs> I know. Sorry. No, it's, that's great. Um, the uh, okay, last one. And I'll let you go. What's uh, what's playing on your your iPhone right now? What are you listening to? Um, the <laughs> so I want to say Curtis Mayfield, so that he's got a song on the Deuce, and I'm a Curtis Mayfield fan. Yes. Um, the latest song. Uh, so I have, I have I have two songs. One that I listen to. Uh, I'm sorry, but Selena Gomez. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not exactly proud of that, but I'll say it. And then the other one is the troll soundtrack. So my kids have gotten a hold of my phone yes. at some point and listened to the troll soundtrack. So that those are the three that are sort of rotating through right now. Oh, those are great. Uh, I love Curtis Mayfield. Uh, trolls is a great, so I have kids too. And like every time they watch that movie, like, this is, a, this is amazing. I think like guardians of the galaxy and trolls have been the two movies I've watched lately. I'm like you, whoever designed the soundtrack of this is just brilliant. So no shame there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And Justin Timberlake. I mean, come on. Like, yes, exactly. I, I don't care if you're if you're super <laughs> in music or not, but he's he's red. So you know. Yes, absolutely. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for joining today. It's been a pleasure learning from you. I love the the cutting edge stuff you're doing. I think it's incredibly value 
valuable for our listeners to be able to take that and apply it to their own organizations in their own particular way. Um, good luck in all you do, and uh, thanks for joining. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. To learn more or to subscribe to the Modern Nonprofit Fundraiser podcast, visit virtuouscrm.com.